You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hey, it is good to be together this morning, and uh, it is a pretty special day for uh, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus. This is a a day of days to celebrate uh, and remember all that's gone on today. And for people that are outside of the faith, oftentimes they don't understand the big fuss about Easter. It's like, wait a minute, chocolate bunnies? Why does everybody get so excited? Right, And so we're going to spend a little bit of time today digging in and really marveling at the wonder of the resurrection. And there are some pretty amazing things to wonder at as we unpack this story. But before we get into that, we're going to actually kind of roll back the clock a little bit and start more at the beginning by remembering. And so if you came, uh, if you came in, you came in, I promise, <laughs> Right? Uh, when you came in, you've got one of these little communion cups. And so if you would go ahead and grab that out. And uh, those of you that are watching online with us and joining us from home, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to mix things up a little bit today. If you're a regular, we normally do communion more uh, further into the end of the service. But today we're going to start with this part. And so even if you're at home, make sure you grab your communion elements. And let's take communion together here in just a minute uh, as a family. So, before the resurrection, there was the last Passover meal with Jesus and his disciples, and it was a pretty special meal, unbeknownst to them, it would be the last time Jesus would celebrate the Passover with them in person the way that he did. It would be his last meal shared with these men that he had spent so much time with, invested so much relationship with, and, and, and cared so deeply for. He starts off that, that time serving them, washing their feet, encouraging them to, to go and do like he did. And then in that meal, he reaches a point where he gives thanks for this bread and he breaks it. And he tells them that this bread represents his body, which was broken for them. And so when we gather together as a family, we take this bread and we remember that, that this bread is symbolic for us. It, it helps us remember that Jesus's body was broken even for us. And so let's start by eating the bread this morning. And the cup represents a a new covenant, which is just another way of saying a new contract, a new agreement between God and his people. And and that contract is signed and sealed and made uh, executable by the blood of Christ. And that contract says that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, because of his sacrifice and and his shed blood, our sins can be forgiven. We can be made right between us and God. And so that's what we remember, the shed blood of Christ and all the power that it had when we take the cup. Well, pray with me as we get going. Father God, you are such a good God. We love you. We're so glad that we can just come before you so openly and easily and and talk to you in such a personal way, Lord. We thank you for what you did, sacrificing your son. We thank you for Jesus, 
that he would follow through with the plan even to its bitter end. And we celebrate with you today, Lord, that, that, that the, the tomb wasn't the end. And that with that resurrection comes uh, an offering of a new life for us that never would have been available otherwise. And so we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are going to dive in and look at the wonder of the resurrection. And it, it, it starts off um, with a, a rushed funeral. Three days before the resurrection, Jesus died on the cross and he was taken down from the cross, prepared and anointed with spices and buried in a tomb. And then this fateful morning, the, the resurrection day, early that morning, three women had uh, rose early, gathered spices that they had purchased to anoint Jesus' body, and they headed out for the tomb. And as they left for the tomb, they're in route, but already at the tomb ahead of them, something amazing happens. An angel from heaven comes and, and it says with force like an earthquake, rolls this heavy stone back from the front of the tomb and then sits down on it. And it says that the angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And these armed guards that were posted to make sure that nobody could steal Jesus' body, they see this light and, and shimmering angel and they are trembling with fear to the point that they're shaking. And it says in the scriptures that they fell down like dead guys. Well, the women arrive, and much to their surprise, when they arrive at the tomb, the tomb is open, and the guards that were supposed to be posted to make sure no one could get in are lying down on the ground, out cold. They were pretty, pretty nervous and anxious about what was going on here, and so they, they bend down and very cautiously kneel to look in the tomb, and, and then they start to go all the way into the tomb trying to get their eyes adjusted to the light and figure out what is going on here, and then suddenly they're shocked and surprised as two men are standing beside them, white as lightning and clothes as bright as snow, and these women hit the ground out of fear and reverence. They, they just bow before these men, and the men call them to rise up and say, hey, what are you looking for in here? They ask him a question that probably seemed like a really bizarre question under the circumstances. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And before the women could really kind of get their wits about them and wonder what in the world is going on here and why are they asking us this and what does that mean, they, they go on to explain a little bit more. They go on to explain like, don't you remember what Jesus taught you when he was with you in Galilee? They said that, that don't you remember that he told you that the Christ was going to have to suffer and be delivered over to the, to the hands of evil men to be crucified and then three days later rise again from the dead and it says in the text that the women started to remember what Jesus had taught them. And these three these three women start to walk out of the tomb and, and turn around and, and they're trying to get their, their brain wrapped around what had just happened. They don't quite understand yet. And so they're hurrying back to, 
Jerusalem to meet up with Peter and John and the other disciples. And when they get to them, the, the disciples could quickly tell there was something amiss with the, just the way their faces were. They had just seen angels and fallen on the ground and, and there was shock and Jesus was gone. And they come to Peter and, and John and the disciples and they explain to them what had happened. Well, Peter and John and the rest of them, they immediately just jump up and run to go to the tomb. And John is fast because he gets there first. He gets to the tomb first. And sure enough, it's just as they had described. The tomb is open. The guards are not at their post. And something is amiss. And so John kneels down. And he goes to to just cautiously look inside the tomb and he's trying to get his head in there and to see what in the world is going on. And the first thing he notices is that the the linen cloths that were used to wrap Jesus' body had been just discarded and were laying there. But no Jesus. About that time, Peter rolls up, huffing and puffing. He's next in line to arrive at the tomb and he does what Peter does. He just kind of bulls his way into the tomb. What's going on here, right? And, And Peter sees also that the cloths that were wrapped around Jesus are laid on the ground, but he also noticed that the the burial cloth that had been covering Jesus was actually folded up and set where Jesus had been laying before, but no Jesus. And so here you have Peter and John in the tomb, standing in shock and awe racking their brain, trying to figure out why in the world and who could have stolen Jesus' body. They don't understand yet, it says in the scripture, that he had risen from the dead. And so these disciples that had sprinted all the way to the tomb, eager to figure out what was going on, now they're just in utter confusion. And they back out of the tomb, and with the rest of the disciples, they just walk back into town, and their heads are hung low, they're they're confused, they're not sure what's going on, and they head back to town, and Mary Magdalene stays at the tomb, and Mary is just distraught, she is just so grief-stricken and and so sad and just broken-hearted at all that had gone on and the the torture and persecution that her Lord had suffered. And and here she's just She's just crying and grieving at the tomb. And and one of the things that just seemed like she was so sad that like even in his death and burial, like Jesus can't even be buried in peace. And someone's taken his body. We get this idea that it's like she's, she's just still having such a hard time wrapping her brain around it. And as if to just prove it to herself one more time that Jesus really still wasn't there, she actually looks back in the tomb. And when she looks in the tomb this time, there are two men shining bright with this white glow, clothes as white as snow, and, and they ask her, hey, Mary, why are you crying? And she starts to 
try to give an explanation, to try and explain why she's crying. Like, like don't you understand what's going on here? And, and at the same time, as she's, she's interacting with them, she notices out of the corner of her eye that another man has walked up at, outside of the tomb behind her. And so as she's starting to back out, trying to get her wits about her, this other man that had walked up behind her, he says, why are you crying? And then he goes on to ask her, who, who are you looking for? Well, Mary mistakes the man as possibly the gardener. And so she turns around and as she starts to engage with him, she says, well, if you're the gardener, perhaps you've taken him somewhere. Maybe you know where he's been taken. Like, if you do, please, please tell me so that I can go to him. But then this man who had walked up behind her, he's a little more deliberate and a little more direct. And he actually says her name and he says, Mary. And when he says her name, she hears Jesus' voice. And she turns around and fully engages with him. And when she sees him, she's like, oh my gosh, Rabbi, it's you. And she falls at his feet and she wraps her arms around him. And she went from complete and total grief and confusion and frustration to utter joy in a blink. The tears are still flowing, no doubt, but they've gone from tears of grief to tears of absolute joy and excitement. She's wrapped around his feet like she's going to hold on to him and nothing is going to peel her off of him. But Jesus looks to her and he says, Mary, you know you can't hold me here forever. And he goes on to explain to her that he hasn't gone back to be with the father yet. And so he calls Mary up and he begins to put her at ease and explain what has to happen. And he he tells her, I need you to go back to the brothers and I need you to tell them that I I haven't returned yet to their God. And he looks at Mary and he says, Mary, I I have to return to, to your God. And reluctantly, Mary starts to let go. And I have no idea what it was like. But I have to imagine Mary walking away looked a lot like this. She was not willing to take her eyes off of the resurrected Jesus. Just, it, it, just overwhelmed at what had just happened. Until finally she was far enough where she had to turn and kind of get her wits about her. And she turns and she goes from this like, I don't know what just happened to, I can't wait to tell the guys. And so her pace quickens and she returns and she finds the disciples, Peter and John and the rest of them all gathered together. And they could tell something was different. Something had happened. And she goes on to explain to him how she had seen these angels in the tomb and then the, and that Jesus had appeared to her and he had told her all these things and he, he told her to come here and tell them all these things and she's going so fast she can hardly keep her words up with her mind and at that very same moment all of a sudden Jesus walks up right there with them and the disciples have a similar response to the one that Mary had they fall down and grab a hold of Jesus every part that they could get a hold of grabbing a sandal a shoe a robe like like get your arms around him and they're worshiping him and they're so excited and overwhelmed that like they thought he was stolen that he was dead and here he is alive in front of them 
And they are overwhelmed. And Jesus, with this amazing patience and compassion for them, he, he calls them to get up. Like, hey, hey, all right, guys, come on. And he goes on to explain to them what's going to have to happen. And he, he puts them at ease and he wants to help them understand that they need to not be afraid Fear isn't a part of what this story is going to, is going to, how it's going to unfold. And he explains to them that he wants them to go now and actually spread the word to all the brothers and sisters, everybody who had been really committed to follow him, round them all up and tell them to go north up to the Galilee region. And then we're all going to gather together up there again. And, and I'll reveal myself to you there and we'll talk about what's next. And so again, with reluctance, the disciples sort of disperse to follow his instructions. Well, about this time, news had started to spread about the events of the day. And some of the guards had actually gone now and reported to the chief priests what had happened. And the chief priests go to the elders and they're trying to figure out a way to make sure that this story of the resurrected Jesus does not leak out This cannot hit the street. It will cause such damage and uproar. Like this, this cannot happen. And so they go to the guards and they concoct the story and they say, you guys are going to have to testify. You're going to have to propagate this lie, this story that his disciples came in the middle of the night and stole him while you were sleeping. That's not an easy story for a guard to tell if it means your life may be at risk because you didn't do your job. And so they bribed them with a huge sum of money and they actually started this rumor, this lie, and it began to take root and began to get repeated throughout the day that the disciples had stolen his body in the middle of the night. Later on that very same day, there are a couple of guys who were among the many disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem. And they were leaving Jerusalem, walking back to a village that they lived in called Emmaus. And it was about a seven-mile walk. And so as they were leaving Jerusalem, reflecting on the events of the week and all that had happened, they had a long walk and plenty of time to talk and think and reflect and discuss all that they had seen and heard and everything that had happened. And as these two guys are just walking along the road, heavy-hearted, pretty solemn, the way you would walk away from a really tragic week that you didn't understand, a man walks up beside them and he joins them at their pace and then he engages them in their conversation. And this man is Jesus, but it says in the scripture that he does not reveal himself to them so they don't know that it's Jesus. And so he first asks them, After listening to him for a while, he says, what are all the things that you guys are talking about? These guys kind of look at each other in shock. Like, what? What do you mean, what are we talking about? And one of the guys looks at Jesus and says, like, you've, essentially, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, have you been in Jerusalem for such a short time that you seriously don't know what we're talking about? Like, all of the things that have happened this last week. To which Jesus replies, what things? And the guys look at each other like they can't believe that that how how could anybody 
have come from Jerusalem and not know what we're talking about. And so they go on to explain to him, the things that we're talking about are all of the things that happened pertaining to Jesus of Nazareth. The fact that, that he was tortured, he was falsely accused, that he was crucified and buried, and, and, and now here we are three days later, And it just didn't seem to all come together the way that many of us thought that it would. We thought that he was going to be the redeemer of Israel to usher in this new king and this new kingdom, and, and yet he's in the tomb. And to make matters worse, what seems to be really weird is that this morning some of our women came to us with this crazy tale of witnessing visions of angels and they said that Jesus had been robbed like someone stole his body from the tomb and then some of our other brothers, they went to go verify the story and sure enough, the tomb was empty and nobody even knows what's gone on with Jesus' body now. This whole thing is just such a mess. At this point, it's almost like Jesus just can't take it anymore. And without revealing himself to him, to, to the guys, he, he sort of calls them out on the carpet at this point, and he's like, wait a minute. He's like, how can you guys be so hard-headed? How can you be so slow in your faith to believe and remember all of the things that the prophets had spoken about the Messiah? Like, like how is it not clicking for you yet? You know what the scriptures said, that the, that the Messiah was going to have to suffer and die at the hands of evil men and be buried and then resurrect on the third day. And then Jesus sort of, I think, steps back into a little bit of patience and mercy. And he does something pretty profound. He just hangs out with these two regular anybodies. And he begins with the teachings of Moses. And then he works his way all the way through the teachings of the prophets. And Jesus actually takes the time to just engage with them and unpack for them everything that the scriptures had said about Jesus. Who he was, where he was going to come from, when he was going to come, what was going to happen when he came, what would happen after he left. And they went on and on and on and he just taught them ever so patiently through the scriptures as they walked all the way to Emmaus. And finally, they find themselves arriving at this little village. It's getting later into the day, and evening setting in, and Jesus acts as if he's just going to carry on to another place. But they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. You can't leave. Like, like, it's late in the day. Please join us for dinner. Stay with us. And so he does. He goes and sits down at their house and, and shares a meal with these two guys. And it says in the scripture that they, they share this meal and that they broke bread and, and Jesus gave thanks for the bread. And when he went to give it to these guys, their eyes were opened and they could see that it was Jesus. And to anybody's, like any one of us in this room, just shared the first meal 
with the resurrected Jesus. There's more about how this story goes on and the things that happen the rest of the day, but I I want to just camp out in this first part of the day, and and I I really want to circle back and zero in on um, some things in this story in particular that I think give us huge cause to be sort of in awe and wonder at the resurrection and how amazing God is in the midst of this story. And there's lots to wonder about. We're going to zero in on one thing. And that thing has everything to do with who Jesus appeared to and talked to and revealed himself to and who he didn't. Because if we think back, remember that Jesus had been falsely accused, had been persecuted by Rome and soldiers and, and Jewish leaders alike. He had been mocked and made fun of and belittled and tortured and crucified and put in a tomb and then rises back to life like conquers death. I got news for you. If this was any one of us in this room that that happened to, I think we all have an idea who we would go show up to as first on the resurrection list, right? Like the day after when I'm back to life, I know where I'm going. I got a really good idea. If it was me, I could tell you where I would be. I would have been pulling up a stool at the chief priest's house, and I would have been waiting for that boy to wake up that day, just sitting there watching him sleep. Hey, remember me? Right? Surely we think Jesus would go to his old friend Pilate like, and, and appear to him. Or how about, how about let's, let's take it up a notch. Like, let's really shock the world. Why doesn't he go to King Herod, this, this corrupt king that was intertwined with Roman leadership and authority and Jewish leadership and authority and everything he touched was a mess and there was so much evil that came from it in all different ways. Why wouldn't he have showed up to him and just sort of set him straight? Or gone all the way to the top and just appeared to Caesar. Like, when you think about who Jesus didn't reveal himself to, it's pretty interesting. But I think for me and for all of us, the thing that should give us this sense of wonder at how good and amazing God is, is who he did show up to. Because God just keeps revealing to us over and over and over and over again that his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The people that you think are the most important that would get top billing and highest position turn out to be sometimes not even invited. And the people that you think would never deserve a seat at the table turn out to be honored guests. This upside-down nature of the kingdom, and we get to see it firsthand in the way Jesus actually walks out his life post-resurrection. He appears to who first? Mary Magdalene. To Mary Magdalene. Of all the people in all the earth, the disciples were just there. But he waits for her first. And you've got to understand something. In Jesus' time, in this culture, a, a, a woman had absolutely no um, 
authority to testify in a Roman court. Like they, they just weren't a valid witness for anything. And their word also didn't hold up in Jewish legal settings. And so, so Jesus reveals himself to a, a person in a culture whose word is worth nothing. There's nothing to be gained even if she wanted to shout it from the rooftops and testify about who Jesus is, no one would listen to her. And God just keeps revealing and reminding us over and over again the way he's done since the beginning of this redeeming story that he's been unfolding is that he is a God for people who are oppressed. He's a God for people who can't speak up for themselves, who are less than, who are unheard, who aren't in the position of authority in their certain situations like God is a God for the underdogs if there ever was one. Over and over and over again, we see this amazing thing uh, unfold. And it's not a new thing for God. Like, this is something God's been up to since the beginning. Probably a lot of you remember the prophet Jonah. We've heard stories about Jonah since we were little kids. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know about Jonah probably. And the thing about Jonah is that God called Jonah and and asked him to go on a very specific mission. He asked Jonah to take a message of repentance, which means he, he asked Jonah to go and preach that people should turn from their wicked ways and turn to the one true God. But the people that he asked Jonah to go to... Jonah did not like. It was to a city of Nineveh, and that city was the heartbeat of the Assyrian Empire. It was this very famous, huge city in the Assyrian Empire. And you got to understand, Jonah had grown up hearing stories about the Assyrians to the point where they were like detestable, disgusting. Like it gave him a bad taste in his mouth to hear a story about them. He hated them so much because they were vile and wicked and evil and pagan, and they were everything except redeemable by God. And God says, I need you to go to them and tell them to stop doing all that nasty stuff and worship me. And Jonah says, no. And at the heart of Jonah's no was because if he went, and what if, what if they repented? What if they listened? He, he couldn't bear to think of it. He couldn't bear to imagine that those people could be forgiven. And so he did everything and anything in his power to try and not follow through on God's plan. And it's easy for us to hear that story and to look back and to think, oh, Jonah, what a meathead. You know, like, what a dummy wouldn't listen to God. Like, God showed him all these amazing signs. And, and, and like, gosh, Jonah sure was stubborn. And when we think about stubborn or hard-headed people or people that want to kick against the goads and work against God's plan, Jonah's the first guy we think of. But what I think all of us forget is that if we're really honest, if we're really honest and we actually start thinking about some of the some of the things that we think about people. Maybe not today, but at some point in our life, if we could sort of look back in our private thoughts, I think probably all of us have had some people in mind that were those people. That were the people that we were like, I don't want them to hear the good news. I don't, I honestly, I don't, 
want them in heaven. And at the root of that is this thing that boils up in us that feels like it's not fair. It starts to uncover something in us that all of a sudden where it's like, I mean, as much as I love the idea of the gospel and God's for everybody, I got a little Jonah in me too. I think it's important that we touch on that and remember that because it's, it's what ties us back into the wonder of the resurrection and the wonder of our awesome, amazing, and, and wonderful God is that, is that we get to see how God behaves and we get to see who our God is for and who our God accepts and who our God goes to and who our God sends people to and we get to be in wonder and awe and, and gratitude that God's God and not us. That, that we're not the ones picking and choosing who gets his mercy, who he'll show up to and who he won't show up to, who, who, who he'll invite and who he won't invite. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty glad about that. Because for a lot of my life, I was one of those people. And I know a lot of people would have looked at me like Jonah looked at the people in Nineveh and said, I don't want that guy in. But by God's grace, I was invited. And so were you. And so were these two regular guys on the road to Emmaus. They were nothing special. They were just a couple of anybodies. In the entire story of this big deal where they have this long interaction with Jesus and discuss all these things and they spend a huge amount of time with him on the the day the day that he's resurrected he's walking for miles with them and sits down to him and all of that story one guy gets his first name mentioned that was it they're just a couple of regular guys we just keep getting reminded over and over and over again and, and, and the story of the resurrection and how Jesus reveals himself and who he reveals himself to just reminds us again the same thing we've seen in scripture throughout the entire story is that God is a God for everyone. And as nice as that sounds, it's just still really hard for people to wrap their brains around. It, it doesn't compute so often. It doesn't seem like it's fair. And it's not new that people have a hard time understanding this, like this, like how is it that God can be for everybody? One story that Jesus told when he was teaching his disciples and particularly some of the leaders that were around him, he was trying to help them really wrap their brains around, hammer home this point that it was up to him to decide who's invited in. And he told them this story, this parable. I want to share it with you because it's a really cool one. It goes like this. It's in Matthew chapter 20. I'm just going to read it to you. Matthew chapter 20, he says this. This is Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage, and then he sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and then again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. 
Well, then at five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and he saw some more people standing around and he asked them, hey, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. Well, the landowner told them, well, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those uh, hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wages. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wages. Well, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in this scorching heat. Do you remember it was hot? He answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. And Jesus is trying to hammer home this point that that he is a God who is for everyone. And I just want to wrap up by saying that those of you that are with us this morning, people that are watching at home, whether you're watching this, maybe you're even watching this tomorrow at home. That's the way these things work, right? Those of you that are watching, those of you that are here with us right now, like it's no accident that you're here. And so I just want you to know that, that Jesus is inviting you to come and follow him. He, 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 he has stumbled across you today, standing around, not employed, right? It's like this story where he's, he, if you really were unemployed, which happens these days, and you really were destitute and not sure how you're going to make your bills. And somebody comes along and says, I, I can't believe you're not working. How have I not found you yet? I've got the opportunity for you. And even though you showed up late to the game, I'll pay you a whole day's wage just to get out there and start. You would be so grateful. Let me tell you, friends, what Jesus is offering you is so much better than a new job. Jesus is, is offering you this invitation to come and join the family. He's saying, he's saying, I've heard your excuses. I've heard all your, your stuff about like, you know, I, I don't know enough, right? Like in this story, I love this picture because I think how some people would maybe think like others have been on the job so much longer than me and I'm really late to this career. I don't know if I'm the right guy for it because, well, I mean, what do I have to offer? And I think the whole beauty of this thing is that Jesus is trying to, to reveal to us and and beat in through our thick skulls that it's not about what we have to offer. It's about what he can offer us. I think sometimes people reach this point where they're like, well, I've heard about Jesus before and I'm not really sure if I want to follow him. I'm not really, I, I don't know if I know enough. I like, what if I, what if I start and I say something dumb? Like, what if I go to one of these groups they're talking about? Or what if I do ask somebody? What if I do start figuring out this Christian thing? And it turns out I just don't know enough, right? Like, 
And Jesus is just trying to remind you again and again and again and again. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's about what he's willing to offer you if you'll answer the call to follow him. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.